Hello, I'm Simon. And I'm Dan. And this is The Wikicast, a podcast where Wikipedia takes us to a random article each week and we talk about what we find. Dan, what are we talking about this week? This week, Simon, we're talking about blood sugar sex magic. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Cool. Would you like to know more? Please, let me tell I, you. <laughs> um, desire to know more is intensifies. You will, you will, you should know this. It's the fifth studio album by American rock band, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh, I never even heard of this one. Yeah. I it's, quite like um, the Red Hot Chilies. Yeah. Um, we used to listen to them quite a lot when I was, um, it was, a, it was a, 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 we had most of their CDs in the car. I remember when I was little. Um, mm. Released on September the 24th, 1991 by Warner Brothers Records. Uh, it was produced by Rick Rubin. And its musical oh. style uh, differed notably from the techniques employed on the band's previous album, Mother's Milk, in 1989, uh, and featured minimal use of heavy metal guitar rifts. The album's subject matter incorporates sexual innuendos and reference to drugs and death, as well as themes as of lust and exuberance. So the Red Hot Chili Peppers, basically. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, cause, so, so Rick Rubin was the legendary producer. He, he Was it Rick who did stuff with N.W.A.? I think he he's one of these. The, hang on, if you stay on the article, I'm gonna have a look at Rick Rubin because like he's yeah, like a legendary figure. Um, you may worked. be curious to know that uh, this particular album produced the hit singles "Under the Bridge," "Give It Away," "Suck My Kiss," "Breaking the oh. Girl," and if you have to ask, "Give It Away," being like, "Give It Away," "Give It Away," "Give It Away," "Give It Away," give it away, give it away yeah. now. Damn. Oh yeah, great song. Right, great so band. okay, when I um when I said that um. Rick Rubin is was very influential, right? Mm-hmm. Um, let me. I, I'm going to give you a partial list of the artists that he's worked with. Okay, okay. ACDC, Adele, Aerosmith, At the Drive-In, Audio Slave, Black Sabbath, Coheed and Cambria, Damien Rice, Danzig, Dixie Chicks, Ed Sheeran, Eminem, Frank Ocean. That's just the first line of a four-five line paragraph. Of so he's more into he's kind of. With. Indie, local, small fry creators. Well, also Jay-Z, um, Johnny Cash, Kanye West, Kid Rock, Lady Gaga, Lana Del Rey, Led Zeppelin, Linkin Park, Metallica, Rage Against the Machine, Shakira, Slipknot, System of a Down, uh, and then all the way down to ZZ Top. So he's basically worked with the music industry, everybody in the music industry. And this is one of his creations. Okay. Yeah. Um, the album peaked at number three on the US Billboard 200. Um, it was the Chili Peppers' introduction into worldwide popularity with critical acclaim, although guitarist uh, John Fuscianti quit the band mid-tour in 1992, not returning until 1998 due to his inability to cope with its popularity. Wowzers, wowzers, trousers. That is a first world problem if I've ever heard one, but like, mm. I can totally imagine like if you... If you sort of get such overwhelming popularity, that must cripple you in the sense yeah. of everything you feel like everything you do must now live up to that greatness, and you know that it can't possibly. Um, and also, you know, the, the media attention and everything like that like, bloody hell. So, hang on, blood, blood sugar sets magic. I'm just going through, I'm on the, the Red Hot Chilies, um, like wiki page now. Um, yeah, uh, discography. Okay, so what was the one that I had? Stadium Arcadium was the one that I had, like, in... I remember I bought that album back in the day when people bought physical albums. Mm. Um, I had Because that was a double side. That had Jupiter and Mars as the two discs, and it had um, Danny California. Um, oh, yeah. that, that had some really good tracks on it, actually. Yeah, Danny California, Tell Me Baby, Snow, Desecration Smile, and Humpty Bump. Uh, hang on. Now, what was it? It was the final... 
Um, the final track on it, I think it was Death of a Martian. Yeah, had some of the weirdest music. Um, like the f- <laughs> okay, the final verse. Did do you remember the song that I'm talking about? By the way, Death of a Martian. I think I rec- I think I certainly recognise the name. We can put we'll look up the lyrics. Adam, put put one second of Death of a Martian in the episode so we don't get copyright struck. Martian. Wasn't that great? I really enjoyed that second. Um, I've just Googled Death of a Martian and autocorrect has changed it to Martin Luther King, Cause of Death, Assassination by Firearm. (laughs) (laughs) Which isn't exactly the... It wasn't exactly what I was going for, Google, but thanks very much for trying to health anyway. That famous track by uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, The Death of Martin Luther King. Yeah. Good grief. So basically, the end of like the track is like a really freeform... It's almost like a beat poem, I guess you could call it. Like the so the lyric, I'll just read out. I I won't even try and emulate how it sounds in the song. But the last two paragraphs here in the lyrics are: "Sweet pink canary cages, plummet pop, juice skin fortitude for the sniffing black noses that snort and elude to the dangling trinkets that mimic the dirt cough drink. It's go- sorry, dirt cough go drink. It's for you." Blue battered naval town slip kisses delivered by duck. Muscles and bottle known grifters arrive in time to catch the late show. It's a beehive barrel race. A she-hive stare and chase-wasted feature who tried and failed to reach her. Emboss beneath the box in the closet that's lost. The kind that you find when you mind your own business. Shiv sister to the quickness before it blisters into the new morning milk blanket. Your ilk is funny to the turnstile touch bunny whose bouquet set a course for bloom without decay. Get your broom and sweep the echoes of yesternight's fallen freckles away i mean it's not rs thomas is it but it's yeah, it's nice it's nice <laughs> it's not quite the uh the wikicast leader let's put it like that true um, and i believe i believe we have some more of that i think we may do actually we've had some mm. excellent correspondence from the set looks at things this week uh can't very wait to exciting get to correspondence corner okay i mean so what i was saying before though about like i remember buying stadium arcadium what was the first album you bought as in like you physically bought a disc i think the the first disc I would have bought myself would probably have been Busted or McFly. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't match with what I, I thought your music taste would be. Well, yeah. See, we, I think, well, my music taste going back through the years has, it's, ju- it's erratic to say the least. I was going through, um, a couple of weeks ago, I spoke about um, me putting together the playlist um, or thinking about what we're going to put on the playlist for Hugo and, and my birthday bash. Oh, yes, of course. Um, and I was going through previous playlists that I'd made, and I found one that I hadn't listened to for years and years. And it was what I would have been listening to it through year nine and year 10 at school. So I would have been um, uh, 12, 11, 10, 9, 16, like 13, 14, 15, right. that kind of age. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a band called, and, and here we go, a band called Billy Talent. Now, Simon, oh, I want I've you to heard look of Billy up. Talent. Yeah, yeah, I've heard of them. I want you to listen to the so- a brief bit of the song, um, Where Is the Line? Where Is the Line? Adam, put a second of Where Is the Line in the episode now. Where Is the Line? Great. Hang on, right. I'm going to listen to this now. Oh my god. You need to try and get to the chorus if you can, because it is actually a bloody tune. I fing love it, but. I'm curious to hear what you think. Imagine Tiny Dan, even tinier than Dan is now, just banging out to this. Was the does the chorus start with magazines? Uh, no, the chorus starts the the chorus, chorus starts with "Where is the line?" Uh, okay, right. Uh, all right, here we go. 
Yeah. Okay, I've just got to the chorus, and that is a certified banger already. That it's, is... It's brilliant. That, that, it's brilliant. That's a great song. I'm going to have to listen to that later. Um, Honestly, Billy Talent, I recommend them as a band generally. They're really, really good. Okay. I'm I mean, yeah, waiting just, for the day when we get them as their ran- as the random, um, as <laughs> the random like, article. Oh my God. <laughs> full <laughs> Finally circle. happened. I mean, like, that's just like, would you describe that as relatively emo-y? Like, it's kind of like 2000s rock... Slightly on the emotional um, side. I'm not sure whether I'd say it's emo. I'd say it's probably punk. Yeah, yeah, okay, fair. Or like, yeah, like it's like punk rock, isn't it? Okay, punk rock. Right, well, because, yeah, I would never have put you down as having that that as your in, uh, early interest in, yeah. in music. Okay, then where, uh, so where did you weird. go from punk rock? You said that you've evolved over the years and you really like rats. So like, Well, I went through go? a phase when I was, uh, when I was slightly younger, I was a bit obsessed with Glee. Because I liked singing. Oh my god! So I remember going. I think <laughs> now, what were they called? What was the all boy group in Glee? And they went I to a know, private. I wouldn't know because I've never sc- watched Glee. Okay, hang on, Glee. Um, so you know, um, a very Potter musical on YouTube. I yes, I do. I've seen that. Yeah. So the guy who plays uh, Harry in that, Darren Chris, Darren Chris, ended up getting yeah. ended up getting a gig with with Glee and has since been catapulted into mainstream fame. Um, he uh, he played a guy called Blaine and uh, the Warblers. That's it, Dalton Academy. Basically, their um their uniform looked exactly the same as my old school uniform when I was at Brighton Grammar School. Um, black like navy blazer with like red trim. It was ridiculous. Like they looked near identical. Mm. Um, certainly in the in the junior school anyway. Um, but their stuff I used to be obsessed with because I used to sing in choir. But obviously, we never did anything as exciting as singing like Katy Perry songs. Um, you said that I, with yeah, a, used... a mix of reverence and disgust. You were like, we never well, anything I mean, as exciting as. Katy Perry songs. Younger, younger me would have said it with excitement. <laughs> me now oh, probably says it with a degree. Of um, <laughs> hence the dichotomy. Um, but yeah, no, I used to listen to loads of Glee, um, Glee albums, and then I'd okay. thrash out to some some uh, punk rock. Really, really a, a tale of two towns. Uh, your, your music taste when you were a teenager. I see. Yeah, and then stuff like then really old stuff. So like, um, shout out to to Mother Moore here. Um, who is a certified legend? Um, she's got probably one of the best tastes of music and knowledge of like discography that I've of anyone I've ever met. She can pretty much hear any song from her childhood right the way up to I'd say like the nineties uh, to, to like late nineties, and she she'll be able to tell you immediately who it is when it was like see some contact. You know, Popmaster on the radio. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I always try and get her to call in because I bet she'd absolutely smash it. Anyway, she used to. As a result, my brothers and, and myself, we all have quite a quite a, a good range of music in terms of what we've been exposed to and listened to. So stuff like we used to listen to lots of um, uh, The Killers, Squeeze, um, uh, Ocean Colour Scene. Is that? I have to admit, that's not a name that I recognise. I'm not saying Colour it's not a band. Oh, they're brilliant. Um, they're fantastic. Uh, yeah, I, I've listened to loads of stuff. But then also there's me who like loves ABBA and, you know, Yes, when I, I have to admit, I was expecting you to say more of kind of glam. I, well, Abba's not exactly glam rock. I suppose they're really like pop. Um, I was expecting more of that um, yeah. in in what you were growing up. Yeah, not that much to be honest. I listened. We listened. I remember we went through a, quite a Queen phase. We listened to a hell of a lot of Queen. Same. Yeah. Um, Bloody love Queen. Mm. I mean, and then I, I had a say- bit of a phase of I listened to a lot of Evanescence. Oh, uh, Evanescence. Oh, yeah. Amy Lee was hot, man. I don't mind being on the record as saying that right now. She yeah. 
was hot. Because um, <laughs> remember, it was the what was their first? Was their first album called Evanescence? It was the one that just had her on the cover. Um, it was the one that Bring Me to Life came from. Bring Me to Life, yeah. Uh, was that the name of the album? Uh, no, Fallen. Fallen was the first oh, one, for- I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They did, yeah. yeah. Fallen and Anywhere But Home, The Open Door. Um, I remember, I have, I have Bring Me to Life uh, was one of the first songs I think I realised, and I think my family realised, that I had quite a good voice, because obviously this was pre-puberty, so I, I still sang as a treble, so I could sing Amy's line at pitch. And she she goes quite off there. Yeah, she um, does, yeah. And I used to be able to kind of match it pretty much perfectly the whole way through, which is a bit oh, odd. Okay. Imagine seeing like a an eight-year-old <laughs> boy jamming out to this incredibly morbid this. song. And then you've gone from Evanescence all the way up to English Cathedral performances. Uh, yeah, it's, absolutely. It's a relatively unique... I was Actually, no, I was going to say it's a relatively unique path, but I know that Michael, our, our director of music and your current tenor in arms um he started listening to a lot of nirvana like that was his musical education so like i I, perhaps not that unusual that like people go from relatively i mean it's not that hardcore but it's you know it's on the harder side of the spectrum of of rock um yeah and and michael loved um fallout boy and apparently um fallen is classified as new metal and that's not new that's n-u metal otherwise known as agro-metal, um, oh, a subgenre go. of alternative metal that combines elements of heavy metal music with elements of other musical genres, such as hip-hop, alternative rock, funk, industrial, and grunge. 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 Now, I had to... When you think... Grunge is... Now, that is Nirvana, isn't it? Like, this is where my guess, knowledge yeah. of music is, uh, like, starts to fall apart a little bit. Um, oh, God, it'd be really helpful if they had some, like, examples. Um, hang on. Usage. I mean, oh God, Green River, um, Nirvana. I mean, Nirvana seems to be the main band they're talking about here. So, okay. Mm. Gosh. Because, yeah, I mean, so going back to what I said earlier about um, first albums, I think the first the first album I bought, I'm pretty sure, was X and Y by Coldplay. Um, Good effort. Which was the, Good one album. That, the one that had Speed of Sound on it and it had Fix You on it yeah um i mean it's not quite as good as their earlier stuff it's not it's not the scientist so it's not what um brush of blood to the head and parachutes were their two uh, like classic albums um mm. but then i think i might have bought a single before then back do you remember when people bought singles <laughs> like oh god um i don't think CDs. i would have ever bought a single i bought a single for um the jcb song by nisloppy uh god. which uh, pixel had never even heard of i don't think like, I, I think she thought that I was going mad when I was trying to... T- it's like this song about a kid who's on a JCB with his dad. Um, and do you, do you remember the song? No, I don't think I do. Oh, what? Uh, Adam, put a, se- put a second of the JCB song in. Or just a clip of you saying, F*** you to me. F*** you, Simon. But also, here's Wonderwall. Uh, I mean, JCB song. JCB. Uh, hang what on. What was the JCB song? Hang on, I'll send you a link on Discord. It's so charming. It's like, Hang I on. remember my dad really loving it. Like I found was, it. Oh, you found it. It had a really charming music video as well. Okay, that's enough of that. <laughs> okay, that's lovely. It's 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 more... Actually, hang on, let's go on Wikipedia, because this is where, like, my, yeah, like, like earlier, when I wasn't sure if... Uh, uh, my classification of this lobby, sorry, as a, of Nirvana as grunge was right. What on earth would you classify this as? Um, I mean, they were folk a one pop. wonder. Folk pop. I do like wow. folk and I do like pop. So 
I have to admit, like, I, I, I don't think there's many musical genres I actively dislike. Like, I will listen to pretty much anything. I really, really struggle with, um, with rap. I knew you were going to say that. I knew and the kind of music that my my younger brothers listen to. So, what kind of artists? Are that? Oh, actually, well, when you say rap, I would agree with you if you mean like mumble rap or the whatever passes for rap these days, because like '90s old school hip hop uh, morphing into 2000s rap. People, I mean, I know that I haven't listened to very much. I know that um, Alex um, Lathbridge, if you're listening to this, um, he will have a go at me for not listening to more Chance the Rapper, for example. Um, but I, Eminem is like one of my favorite artists. Like, I just I think he's so lyrically clever. Mm. Um, I know that rap uh, these I think, days is a wee bit different. So I'm thinking of I'm thinking of I immediately think of uh, Stormzy. Uh, oh, Stormzy, is... <laughs> yeah. Stormzy okay. does a song called "Shut Up," apparently, which I I I, I do know because it's played all the time. Um, mm-hmm. I mm, I don't know. I think I'd like to I'd like to try and get more into um, that kind of music. I don't even know. See, this is how unequipped I am to have even discussed this kind of music because I don't even know how to. Is it Rap. So this is now grime. Apparently, this this genre is grime. Yeah, but I feel like rap is a very broad pantheon. I feel like grime fits into. It's a subgenre. I think. Yeah. I feel like it'd be. Well, it, well, actually, even is it though? Because then it probably ha- it has characteristics of other stuff. Um, it has like characteristics of electronic music. Right. Hang on, I'm going to go on Wikipedia for this. Um, right. Grime is a genre of electronic dance music that emerged in London in the early 2000s, developed out of earlier UK musical. Uh, electronic music styles including garage and jungle and draws influence from dancehall raga and hip-hop rapping is also a significant element of the style and lyrics often revolve around gritty depictions of urban life so yeah like i feel like rapping then is like rap is a a tag if you like perhaps we shouldn't be thinking about it in terms of categories we should be thinking it in terms of tags like grime has the tag rap and it has garage and jungle and uh electronic in it but then i suppose there are like like hip-hop is a genre rather than a tag per se yeah uh i would be really interested to see what the like i'd like to produce a pie chart of the Wikicast readership and genres of music that are listened to. But then that's not necessarily the best depiction of that because that implies that each person can only choose one genre. What well, I'd like, I, would, I would like to know genre generally. So what I was... Genre generally. Um, <laughs> I know him very well. He's from Paris. I think if we did... Okay, let's try this. Why don't readers now listening... Hello there. You need to email the podcast you need to you don't have a choice in this you um, must <laughs> spongy spongy electric at gmail.com i'd like you to provide us with your favorite song your most played song in whichever digital music library you so choose or indeed uh, a physical library if you're uh, old school and uh, the last song you played so that's so your that's favorite song right, yeah. yeah your favorite song your most played song and the last song that you played Right, hang on. I'm and then from to... from I'm there, gonna... I'm going to produce some kind of graphic aid. <laughs> I'm just going to try and look up mine now. So what is... Uh... Now, that's a bit of an issue with finding a most played song if you've got something like... I don't know if it's the same for Spotify, but certainly Apple Music doesn't take it into account. You can only search most played in your library. Right. So for me, for instance, um, my most played song, according to my iTunes library... Is April Comes She Will by the King Singers. <laughs> I, I have suspect and then it's, that my Then it's Claire similar. de Lune, Good Day Sunshine by the Beatles. Okay, well, apparently my top song of 2018 was 
uh, the Exaltation by John Taverner from Exaltation and Kahima. Nice. Um, the last song that I played was uh, Stars by Eric's Eschenwaltz. Um Nice. But I would say that, like, I mean, when, like, when we say about favorite song, I don't really include classical music in that. So I, 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 I th- no, nor would I. The answer that I would give probably for my favorite song is probably. Oh god, trying to pick your favorite everything's tough, but like probably um for crying out loud by Meatloaf from Bat Out of Hell, which is such a weird choice. It's probably no one else's favorite song ever, but I just don't know. I really like the song. I think it's like 10 minutes of power power rock. Actually, hang on. How would you describe <laughs> Hang on. For crying out loud, I just I want to know how Wikipedia describes this song. Um uh Let's have a look. Because I would classify it as like power rock, right? Uh, apparently it's cla- a classic rock, punk rock. Um, let's have a look. I mean, the Bat Out of Hell as an album is hard rock, glam rock, and heavy metal, which I suppose feels about right. right. Uh, yeah. So that's your that would that's your favorite. I, I mean, yeah. It's trying to pick your favorite song is a super difficult task, though. Like, okay, what what's your most played then? My most played was the. Um, Exhortation from John Tavener. Oh yeah, and then your the song you played last, "Stars" by Eric Eschenwaltz. Okay, cool. What about I'm you? I'm just going to try and see what my last the last song I played was. Because uh, the last song I played was the Sanctus from Mass for Five Voices oh, by William Byrd. God, we're so f***ing lame, Dan. I can't think. Now, hang on. There will be something. What did I play last that was poppy? Yeah, what was the last thing I played that was poppy? How do I find this out? Oh, I'll tell you what it will be. It'll be um, Billy Talent. Oh, that doesn't count because we listened to that on the podcast. <laughs> I mean, I, I also listened to it yesterday. But uh, How do I find out my like recently... Po- Actually, well, I, I can tell you what the most recent thing that I played that was poppy, like I like searched for was. Um, yeah. That was Ninja Sex Party. Uh, I think the last song that I went for was um, Party of Three. I think it was a song about having mm-hmm. a, a threesome. Um, Ninja Sex Party's great, guys. If you uh, if you haven't heard them, they're very funny. Yeah, but I, I'd be interested actually. That be that won't take people very long. If you go on your Spotify and just tell us those three questions, that'd be very fun. Yeah, yeah it'd be very interesting. Good to idea, see. Dan. Well, tell you what, I also want to hear from you though. Is your choral piece of the week? Ooh. <laughs> And this will be my piece of the week. Drum roll, please. Right, it's been... We're recording this just after Lash... Sorry, Ash Wednesday. Um, mm. You know, we're, we're now in Lent. Um, what, are, what, are you giving up anything for Lent? Uh, I don't think I am. Well, you are. No. You're giving up the right to move and work in 27 European countries. But, I mean, no, yeah, well, we're yeah. all doing that now. Bum, bum, um, bum. Now I need to try and find. Presumably, you sang uh, a quite a bit yesterday. Yes, yeah, that is. It's safe to say that was the case. We did a very. We did a bird mass for five voices. We did the Allegri Miserere, and we did um, Talis. Um, oh God, what was it called? Hang on, I haven't done it before. Uh, it was. In Unio et Flatu. Oh, that's a lovely piece. I've heard, I haven't heard that yeah. for years. It's very nice. Is that now? Did you do that at original pitch with like the basses doing a bunch of bottom Ds? Uh, no, we did. So this is transposed upper major sixth, I think. Right. Yeah, because the original verse. So the it's alto split. Is, is quite low. Yeah. 
So you may be unaware, Simon, but I'm doing an early music consort. Oh, really? Yeah, on a on a Monday evening. It's it's very good fun. Um, uh, with Joe Reed and some uh, some other folk. It's very nice. Uh, and Joe popped some four part music in. So typically we're doing one to a part um, stuff. So SATB SATB. Um, there's this really cool Taverner piece, Mother of God, Here I Stand. I was listening to that this morning. I hadn't morning. heard before. There's a Voce's really? recording of it, yeah. Yes, there is. Um, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to make that my choral piece of the week. We have already mentioned the Allegri, and I mentioned the... Um, Bird. Uh, Lamentations, and James Mustard, canon presenter of Exeter Cathedral, had a really marvellous idea that he wants to get as many of the back row round to his house on the eve of Brexit, um, where we shall, we'll perform a Brequiem, um, which is going to be a, a performance of the, the, uh, the, the Talis Lamentations as we welcome um, if it goes the, ahead. from the European Union. If, 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 the, well, yes, exactly. if Theresa May doesn't kick it's, it further down the road. I think she's probably going to kick it further down the road. But... Brequiem. That is amazing. Yeah. I love it. Brequiem Eternum. <laughs> oh, f***. Ah! Well, that, yeah. so your piece of the week... So it was the uh, Mother of God, Here I Stand by Taverner. Mother of God, Here I Stand, yeah, by John Taverner. I'll also put a link in the description to the Talis, uh, the original pitch. Um, I, what's it? Aeneo et Fleet, Fleetu? I can't remember the name. Yeah, Aeneo, so, or Yeunio, because it's an I in Latin, so it can be said both. Aeunio ah. um, et Fleetu. Yeah, the version that I know is the... Um, I think it was Alamiro recorded it. Alamiro's are, are a great early music um, consort. Yeah. Um, and uh, they did a recording on YouTube, which is just... You know how, like, stuff that was written for TTBB, we often perform at SATB. <laughs> Whoa! Wow! Sorry. Sneeze. Um, Go on. We often perform at SATB, but it just sounds so much richer at TTBB. Like, there's that... Um, the Talis... Sorry, the Jesuado 6 recording of If You Love Me at TTBB pitch. And it's just like... There's something about yeah, it. Yeah, down a fifth. Yeah, it's just so so warm. It's so bassy. Mm. Um, I love it. Uh, okay, yeah, well, that's there you go. Two for the price of one. And I won't even pitch in this Absolutely. week. Absolutely. Because it's not my bosh, corner. Bosh, bosh. So this week, Daniel, I um, I haven't been watching a huge amount. Um, although I did watch... No. Did you watch the new Louis Theroux about... I watched half of it about, and then I had to go. This was the one that was about... Um, uh, sexual assaults on American campuses and yes. sort of talking to both, um, I don't know, I guess what you, what you call them, perpetrators, I suppose. And yeah. people who have committed sexual, or allegedly commit sexual assaults and people who have um, been on the receiving end who are victims of sexual assault. Um, mm. And it was a very uncomfortable watch at points. It's got to be said. Um, I don't, mm-hmm. so basically like a lot of it was following this one student whose name I can't remember um, who I won't dignify by giving a name, who yeah. who had committed, well, sorry, had allegedly committed a sexual assault and um, was uh, talking to Louis through about sort of the process that he was going through and how he felt like he was so tired and just like he completely denied everything. But it became quite yeah. clear from, I don't know how far you got in, but it became quite clear when Louis started talking to other people that this guy was, uh, to, to put it as P- Pixel and I put it, a manipulative piece of shit. Yeah, and very clearly lying. Um, like I've known enough people, enough sociopaths to um to recognise it, and it, it was just like yeah. depressing. Being like he clearly I thought think, that he was going to get away with it. Yeah, the interesting thing was the documentary was focusing less on the criminal court case, but how the case is managed 
at a university campus level. So he yes. he was acquitted in his criminal trial. However, his uh, his trial at Yale is still ongoing, and as a result, he's just he's in this kind of weird limbo phase of he's postponed his degree is postponed he can't go on he can't, you know mm. yeah it was it was an uncomfortable watch I th- as i say i've only seen I, I got just up to about halfway but i had to i had to dash out but yeah it's worth watching it's a, it's the second kind of, half it, it is worth watching the second half i think yeah it's indicative of, of louis style of of documentary making isn't it that the, you've got this kind of leering mm. that there's there's an uncomfort in most of what he does certainly yeah. in uh, certainly in um in his in his more recent documentaries and that is just one of his skills is that he he mm. in a way disarms the people who he's interviewing by how awkward he is i think i it almost makes people feel like compelled to talk more because they're filling the awkward silences yeah um he, he does get quite robotic in his He's not a nice conversational, but you know, it's very much, I'm going to ask you a question, you're going to talk. And then when I feel like I might ask another question, I will, but we could just sit in silence for a bit. You know, mm. I mean, it's, yeah, it, uh, it, it like the whole argument about sexual consent on campus and the fact that they had that, as he documented in the, in the show, um, uh, how there's been this pushback from people saying that like, it's, oh, it's unrealistic expectations uh, about how men are supposed to behave. Like, I don't, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It, it feels completely trash to say that don't you think it's just like yeah it's, it's the whole uh, it's the classic um principal skinner meme of like am i so out of touch no it's the children who are wrong it's like the it's like mm. the thing am i is the way that i am behaving possibly like making people feel uncomfortable no no we've been doing it like this for centuries it, 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 i can't be at mm. fault it's just like such a it's such an idiotic way of thinking i'm sure that we'll get correspondence that says otherwise but as in my opinion, it is just a slightly idiotic way of thinking. Yeah, the, the, I mean, you definitely watched the second half. Uh, like, it was definitely very interesting, and it'll be on iPlayer if in, in the UK. Um, Absolutely. What I would like to review is mm. the Cambridge Half Marathon, because... Of course, I only yes. went and bloody ran a half marathon, didn't I? So you, you got your... You got your letter in the post in time which is good I did. I, uh, the um <laughs> the, the, my race information and like pl- nameplate was sent to d- to dan at our old house well my old house dan's current house um rather than to me and then uh, a couple of days before the race i just messaged you i was like um has anything arrived for me you're like yeah we got this thing about a week ago with your race information in it. <laughs> and i was like do you do you want to send that to me? Because I kind of need it. Well, I mean, to, I didn't open the letter. I saw it was a thing, and I knew that I knew there were lots of things. I mean, we still get stuff from you that might be like I don't know, um, some science magazine or so, and it said Cambridge Fitness something. I was like, oh, maybe it's a you know, like it's just some. Wait, it also looked thi- like it. It looked like spam. Post? Do you have for me in the, just waiting in the house? Oh, like nothing that's actually important. Okay. Because if because I can you can usually tell when something is spammy and usually the way of seeing it spammy is they've made a they've made some massively glaring mistake in the address. For instance, the one that was sent to us here had most of the address in Exeter correct, but then it was also like the old place you used to live there. And I'm like, oh, they've clearly gone through and just put that you know garbled something together, and it's an advert for like a gym. Oh, I'll keep it just in case, and I'll pop it in like. But then that's basically you know. Um, but yeah, no. So so I sent it with with uh, next day delivery. And Unfortunately, it got there in time. Yeah, um, yeah we did. It arrived in time, absolutely fine. Um, and then, yeah, like the um, the the actual half marathon itself was absolutely extraordinary. 
Um, mm. I've never really been a part of anything like that because obviously, like you know that there are going to be p- p- people watching uh, when you do the half marathon. Like you are running, yeah. there are going to be some people who line like the the beginning and the end. I was not yeah. expecting to not to not go more than five hundred meters probably without yeah. there being a, a knot of people. Like there were people mm-hmm. the entire way around the course, going around like the bi- well, I don't know if it was a bypass, but whatever. Like what these these I'm going to call it a bypass around Cambridge lining along the way people who were coming out of their houses um and like yeah. they were presumably there for hours they were they must have been there for several hours just cheering people they don't know and like some people had signs for them like go on tim and all the people i don't know yet or whatever um yeah go on murray but yeah go on murray um but they had like just people coming out and just cheering everybody on there was someone who had like a mario power-up mushroom they were getting people to tap um i must have nice. been given high fives by like 20 or 30 kids who were just sticking their hands out and getting runners to high five them as they went past um yeah. and the, the best bit was they had these people who starting from about halfway around the course just were standing by the side of the race with big tupperware full of like jelly babies and haribo and yeah. stuff and just like being like quick take some get some energy all these people that they don't know it was just extraordinary it was it was absolutely extraordinary support from everybody though my favorite person awesome. was the guy who had a college room um, above one of the robe shops in Cambridge and um, mm-hmm. like the, the the race turns a corner around there so he was on the corner and he just opened up all of his windows and he was blasting music as loudly yeah. as he could out of the windows and he was DJing in the window uh, and like all these people just like looking up and like waving at him and because you because uh, I don't know how unusual this is but because it was a partly open course technically like you could be hit by a car at some point so you're not allowed to have headphones um, yeah. so no one was running with music so there were people like him pl- playing music around there were also several bands who were playing around the the course like there was an acapella group there was a rock band there was like a punk band it was so cool it was so so cool uh i i was like i was very happy for for most of the way around it was about mile i think 11 or 12 that i was like okay i i am running out of energy now like Mm. my my reserves are very low and it was i i basically forced my way through i think it was mile 12 uh, I like the twelfth mile. I um just like pushed through, and I was like, "Come on, you can do this." And then the final mile, like from twelve to thirteen, I was like, "Okay, final mile, just push." When it got into the bit where the crowds are starting getting thicker, I just like went hell for leather. I actually set a speed record on my running app for how fast I did the last um I did five hundred meters. Um, mm. but then I forgot that it isn't thirteen miles; it's thirteen point one miles. And so I sprinted and sprinted and sprinted to the 13 mile marker. And then my legs were dead. I didn't have any energy whatsoever. And then I looked up and the race end was like another 200 meters away. Oh no! And I was like, oh, I've made a mistake. And like my sprint just like fell to like about 50% of its speed. And I was just like, oh, come on, please. Come on, Murray. Um, and like, I could see the clock ticking up to t- my, my target was to do it in less than two hours. And the clock mm. was like at one fifty nine forty eight or something like that. As I was like running, mm. and I could feel I couldn't go any faster. I was like, "Come on, come on!" And I was trying to get across the line for two hours, and I think I crossed at like two zero 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 six or something. Um, but obviously, right. like I, I didn't start when the clock started. Like I set off across the line about six minutes in. Um, so my final time was one fifty three eleven which is way faster than I thought I'd be capable of doing it. Like, like it was, it was nuts how much quicker I was, I found myself running. Um, mm. 
mm. you know compared to training uh so you know it was it was just amazing i've, I've got to say like as an event if people have an option to run it next year i i highly recommend it it was just mm. a, a beautiful experience loved it awesome um, and i've got another one to do i've got to do well in now i've got to do, which is going to be um has a lot to live up to where have you sent your information should i anticipate oh you know what I know that you're joking, but that's a good question, Dan. I'm just going to yeah. go into my email now. Please read well in half marathon. Let's have a look. Um, oh, God. I'm going to have to look this up later because I just don't know. Um, right. Well, have... well, I'll keep an eye out either way. Yes, please do. Um, Okie dokie. Right. Is there anything else that you would like to review, Daniel? Uh, I watched the first episode on and off of The Umbrella Academy. Ah, I've heard a lot about this. What did you think? Yeah, interesting. I, I I wasn't really watching it because I was busy, but my housemate uh, did watch it, and he he kind of got a bit hooked on it. So apparently, it's all right. Okay. It's got Ellen, Ellen Page in it, so that's usually a good start. I think she's quite good. So this is like um, a, a bunch of people who were superheroes when they were children, and then they've they're yeah. grown up in the show. Is that right? Yeah, kind of. Um, it's a it's a very weird. As I say, I don't fully understand the premise because I was watching on and off, so I have to kind of watch it again. Um, I think it was all right. It was good. I think it's from what I can understand, it's been it's been received fairly well. Um, yeah, I've heard good things about it in the in the press. It was like if uh, the if Professor X's Academy was really messed up was kind of the description that I heard. Yeah, it's it's quite dark, but uh, yeah, it must be. It can't be awful if if James is uh, if James is watching it. So okay, well, I, I, it is on my Netflix list, so I have to check it out. Most excitingly, tomorrow is the return of Gardner's World. That may be the most Dan sentence you've ever said. I can't, I honestly can't wait. Oh my I bloody God. love it. I won't be able to watch it because I'm in Bristol, but uh, Gardner's World with Monty Don. Oh, bless him. See, to me, in my mind, it's still presented by Alan Titchmarsh. And I know that it isn't. Uh, hmm. I know it hasn't been for quite some time, but like that was the, that was the Gardner's World that my parents watched. And so I ended up watching. Yeah, fair enough. No, I'm very yeah, I'm very excited. My um, my sweet peas have taken an absolute battering this week with all the wind. I'll be uh, I won't uh, won't hold off in uh, in, in breaking the uh, the harsh truth to you. But uh, the poor things. I came home from a cathedral service the other day, and they were just strewn across the garden. The pots had been blown miles, <laughs> and it was like um, there was a it was absolute carnage. So I had to uh, had to repair them slightly. But otherwise, the garden's doing well. Okay, apart from the fact that it's strewn over all of Exeter, it's doing well. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Oh my god! Right. Well, if that is that, then I think Dan, we should pop on over to the next, the most important corner of this podcast. <laughs> Top lad. Right. Is Patreon going to work this week? Yes, it is. Yeah. Okay. We had a slight technical problem last week where we couldn't even thank the people who make the show possible because we couldn't see who our patrons were <laughs> so it's that time again where as we alluded to earlier we actually can thank our patrons this week uh, because patron as a as a website is uh, is actually working Yay! which is good um this this uh, this section is of particular importance because Simon, cast your mind back to last week. We announced a rather exciting competition, didn't we? We did indeed. The Wikicast animation contest, where we want you... Which is incredibly exciting. ...to submit fan-made animations. There will be a link in the description with all the information necessary, or you could listen back to the last episode if you missed it. But without further ado, given we missed last week, I feel we need to say a massive thank you uh, to our top lads. 
So I'd like to kick off. You've got to get two weeks worth of thanks in one go here, Dan. You've got to really say this with enthusiasm. Like, it's got to be enough enthusiasm to cover two weeks worth of thanking. Right, here we go. I would like to say a colossal thank you from the from the bottom of my heart and the heart of my bottom to Ben McMurtry, Bryce D. Williams, uh, Wilkins and Choco Cat. I would like to offer a seismic, gigantic thanks to Colm Mansfield, Dan Hanvey, Davy Shram Vontabel. A gargantuan thank you to Devon Hill, Eric Davis and Henry Brewster. A Himalayan thank you to Isabel Ostrowski, Jay Wright and John Mannion. A truly abyssal thank you to John Selway, <laughs> Jonathan Trimble, and Geordie Eschendahl. That implies that there is nothing in that thank you. It's like a completely empty thanks. An abyss is very large. It's a very large amount of nothing. You wouldn't say, like, I mean, how deep is my love for you? Oh, it's abyssal. <laughs> like, I don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't associate abyssal with necessarily nothing being there. I think that would be, like, vacuous, maybe. Hang on. Uh, no, I, don't, I think it's a very... It's not vacuous at all. It's a very reasonable way of thinking. Um, hang on. Let's have a look at this. Oh, apparently Abyss was a wrestler, according to Wikipedia. Yeah, that's what I meant, obviously. <laughs> uh, hang on. Right. Is it on... Oh, is it going to be on Wiktionary? Uh, Wiktionary. Noun. Okay. Uh, abyss can refer to one of six definitions. Hell... A bottomless or unfathomed depth, gulf, or chasm, hence any deep, immeasurable, any void space. Anything infinite, immeasurable, or profound. Moral depravity, an impending catastrophic happening, or the centre of an escutcheon. What the f*** is an escutcheon? There we go, see? So we were both right. Oh, apparently an escutcheon is a corporate coat of arms, an individual or corporate coat of arms. So like the... The centre of a shield. The more there we, we know. Go. Where were we? A thanks so great in its enormity it cannot be fathomed to Kyle Much, Lachlan Woods and Maggie. I would like to offer my elephantine oh. thanks to Marut Fakira Punyawat, Matt Maguire and Oliver Burkhart. A cosmic thank you to Omar Miranda, Fee Gascoigne and Rory Healy. And last but by no means least, a... A massive, mammoth, cosmic, prodigious, gigantic, monumental thank you to Tapio Kirkinen, Tristan and Whitney Ferries. You're doing top work, all the top lads. If you uh, would like to support the podcast, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash the wikicast. Um, there, there's currently one $5 tier per month, which is the top lads that we just read out. We are probably going to change that next week. Just so you know. Yeah. So things are going to change. Because there are also Team Dog and Team Cat, um, which uh, are well, apparently not actually showing up on uh, like who, how many people are for which. I'm assuming that Team Dog is still winning because apparently they were just, just seem to be winning the entire time. That's what Team Dog have just done. Um, mm. But um, you can support us by just a dollar a month um, if you'd like to keep the show going. And that goes towards um, our donation to Wikipedia. We make a donation to Wikimedia of £20 every month. And if we get to $200, we'd like to up that to £50 a month. Um, we also have to pay for our hosting on Podbean. And now we're putting uh, money from the Patreon into the prize pool for the Wikicast fan animation contest, uh, which I'm so excited about. I can't wait to see you guys start submitting stuff. You have five weeks left to get your submissions in. If you'd like mm. to remember a shorthand, it's when Game of Thrones comes out. You've got to get the animation done before Game of Thrones comes back out with season eight. Absolutely. Thank you very much, guys. Uh, and now we should move on to... Well, let's, let's look at some correspondence, shall we? 
Let's do it. Top lad. But before we have a look at correspondence, we have a crisis this week, Simon. We have a, a reader of the Wikicast who is in dire need. Uh, I believe it is uh, Anonymous. Yes, they've uh, they've emailed in. Um, uh, Anonymous has titled this Crisis Corner PhD Special. Oh God, please send help. I'm very confused. Um, so without further ado, here we go. Dear Messrs Quark and Thor, I'm a relatively new reader, having uh, been watching Simon's videos since the summer and slowly been working my way through every Wikicast episode over the past month or so. Good Lord. How are you still saying? Incredible effort. (laughs) Oh my God. Um, They've kept me going through a long and stressful period, so I'm grateful to you both for blessing my life with your glorious weekly deposits of drivel. That's absolutely no problem at all. Anyway, I have a crisis which I hope Simon in particular might be able to advise me on, mostly since it contains the phrase PhD 11 times. Apologies in advance for the absolute unit of text I'm about to subject you to. It is as follows. I'm currently in my third year of an integrated master's in computer science. This year, I chose a more research-based topic for my third year dissertation, and it's really paid off. I've really enjoyed the style of working, and I now think I want to do a PhD. My plan was to wait until the fourth year to start applying for PhDs, so I'd be certain that I wanted to do this, and I would have done two research projects and have two strong references from supervisors. I was also considering applying to a certain well-known and highly selective university that will remain nameless. You probably won't have heard of it anyway. (laughs) Uh, and I fig- and I figured that uh, I would have a higher chance of getting in with a master's and two research projects. Additionally, I'd made up my mind that I wanted to move to another university. I absolutely love my current university, but I'm a bit far from my family and my girlfriend, and I don't want to feel left behind after all my friends have graduated. Anyway, this takes up uh, this takes us up to the week where my dissertation supervisor told me a he wanted to work on a paper with me to be submitted to a conference. My thoughts being fantastic, that'll look great on my PhD applications. And b he wanted to offer me a PhD position in this research group. Wow. My thoughts being, wait, what? Having spoken to the equally enthusiastic admissions officer, it looks like the chances of me getting funding are very high, and the university are fine with me dropping out of my MSI and graduating with a. Um, BSc to start my PhD next year. Staying at the same university and the same supervisor means the application process would be minimal. This would be a fantastic opportunity, but the problem is I'm not too passionate about the area I would be studying. I always thought I was going to do a PhD. I would uh, I would move into a totally different subject area, for example, applying computational techniques to medicine or environmental sciences rather than pure computer science. So I'm leaning towards saying no because I want to move somewhere else and into a different subject area. My question is, am I mad? Are these stupid reasons? And should I just accept the very good position? More importantly, how do I go about explaining this to my, my this situation to my supervisor? He's made it very clear that uh, he's very enthusiastic about my work, um, which would make him a fantastic reference when applying for PhDs. But I worry that he's only interested for as long as I'm working on research relevant to his interests and that turning this offer down might scupper my chances of getting a PhD anywhere else. So to summarise, how do I tell my very enthusiastic dissertation supervisor that I want to do a PhD, but not his PhD? Oh, man. I mean, in a way, this is a great crisis to have. Like, it's a, it's a great position to be in. Um, it's mm-hmm. just difficult. Um, so my gut instinct with this one is you know that you want to do a PhD, but you want to move somewhere else. You want to do a different PhD. Um, and that, like... The fact that you have doubts about this project should kind of tell you that it isn't the right one for you. You shouldn't... I don't think you should take up the offer, basically. So so you asked if you're mad. I absolutely don't think you're mad. I think that's a completely legitimate concern to have. Um, it also indicates that if you are so impressive as a student that the supervisor is like, yeah, I want you as my PhD student, that, will, that should tell you, well, actually, this means that I have qu- quite likely to get an offer from somewhere else. 
Um, that, that to me says that as a student, you've got a lot to bring to the table. So you shouldn't be worried, I think, about not... Um, you know about throwing away an opportunity and then you know regretting it later i don't think you should you should worry about that um in terms of whether or not your supervisor will understand where you're coming from i would be very surprised if your supervisor doesn't understand um your reasoning um i think it is very well known it's 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 very well acknowledged that like the the common factor with a phd is that you have to be so into what you're doing you have to be super passionate about what you are trying to do um because if you're not passionate you probably won't survive um it's a simple fact fact of it if you don't think what you're doing is really cool and you're not following your heart if you like then you are likely to struggle and not necessarily that you're not going to make it through but you're definitely going to have a more difficult time um and I, I do think academics understand that um i i think if you were to explain well yeah i really appreciate it but I I think my interests are in a different field. I think what I really want to do is this. I am I don't think that I have enough passion to see this project through to the end. Um, mm. I think they would have to be quite unreasonable. Um, do you actually say what subject this is in? Um, no, it doesn't say. I actually say which. So so. Uh, oh yeah, computer science. Um, I mean, uh, that, I suppose that does have something of a reputation for people not understanding people. Um, but I think they would have your supervisor would have to be quite. Um, harsh to say no you are going to stay here with me like you're mine now um you know i yeah i i think i mean dan i i appreciate this is a little bit out of your expertise um but i mean i i think that a reasonable thing to do in this situation would be to say you know thank you but i think my research my research interests lie in other areas um i i'd like to apply for other phds Obviously, that's going to be an awkward conversation, but I think it is the right move. I don't, know, Dan, if you mm-hmm. if you'd like to ch- chime in at all, I think it'll be awkward. Yeah, um, I don't think there's any way around that. But I think also you clearly must have a fairly good rapport with this supervisor if they've offered you a place on this other opportunity. Um, but a PhD is, is I think, well, from what I can understand, it's got to be something that you're passionate about. And already at this stage, if you're thinking, mm, I don't know if I really want to do it, then I would say it's probably better to bite the bullet and, and just be honest about it. Yeah. And I'm sure they'll understand. Yeah. It's it's going to be difficult. But at the same time, Anonymous, uh, who apparently is named, uh, who is aged 6.52, sorry, 6.592167527 times 10 to the 23 femtoseconds. Uh, love it. Absolutely excellent use of, um, of an inappropriate unit. Um, you are in a great position. Like you are in a currently, uh, currently in a, a well-known and highly select. Oh no, no, no. You're considering applying to a well-known and highly selective university that I probably won't have heard of. Um, incidentally, we're not censoring that. That's literally what it says in the email. Um, mm-hmm. I definitely think you're in a good position. Um, that's not to say by you saying no to this project that you, if things don't work out with the other ones you apply for, there's no, there's no reason why you couldn't reapply, you know, and say, well, actually, look, I haven't been able to secure funding somewhere else. Would I? Mm. Can I take you up on this offer? Obviously, you don't want to have to do that, but I feel like they would be unreasonable to not allow you. Seeing as they really want to work with you, I think it, they would have to be very capricious to remove their offer just because you wanted to work on other projects. Um, Definitely. So I'd say apply for the ones you're actually interested in. Have this conversation now with the supervisor saying exactly what you said in the email. I think they'd be had to be very unreasonable to say no. 
That's that's my two cents. I would welcome other readers who are doing PhDs. We have Dr. Santiago, who is who's done their PhD. Um, we have we had a few of us knocking around. If they'd like to offer their two cents, then please do email in to spongeelectric@gmail.com, and we can make your responses anonymous as well for Crisis Corner. Um, but I think I think that's my advice. I'm gonna I'm gonna close the the case on on that one as far as I'm concerned. Um, over to the rest of you now. <laughs> Well, shall we? Shall we, mm-hmm. speaking of going over to the rest of them, Dan, shall we now move on to some correspondence? Let's do it. We have an email here from JJ Duwan, uh, titled "Is Cats versus Dogs a False Dichotomy?" Dear Messrs. Uh, Claw and Mark, obligatory long-time reader, first-time writer. I've thoroughly enjoyed your podcast. I remember listening to the debut episode. Good lord. Um, uh, you have entertained you've entertained me endlessly throughout my sixth form now university commute as well as runs self flex Simon I ran a half mar- marathon aged seventeen in an hour and forty five minutes nice good effort however listening to each episode I started to become skeptical as to whether or not we must choose between cat and dog perhaps this decision is a false dichotomy like socialism and capitalism these things are not mutually exclusive they work well together the train of thought started last summer when visiting Australia hi Dan fellow half Aussie here hello. I spent time at my uncle's, uh, who has both a cat and a dog, who had, for lack of a better phrase, great cinematic chemistry. Um, they were most—they were the most hilarious duo. There could um, there could be a movie about them. Constant fighting and making up. So I say, uh, team cat and team dog t- come together to see less of our differences and more of what we have in common. Funny gifs of animals for all gifs, whichever whichever you prefer, um, of animals falling over regardless of species. Hashtag end spe- um, end speciesism two thousand nineteen. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing what you're doing. Keep up the good work. From uh, JJJ do one aged uh a quarter george lucas <laughs> yes oh that is a that is a, i love that as opposed to fractional ages uh, uh giving your age as a fraction of a celebrity that is wonderful yeah. i love it i think it's not it's not uncommon a kind of an uncommon thought to propose that nine times out of ten cats and dogs don't work well together i feel like they're kind of there is a there is a stereotype and reputation for for them not going well together. However, I understand uh, what uh, JJ Duwan is. Uh, I mean, is I've saying. had two um, uh, like aunts, uh, my my dad's sisters, who have both cats and dogs, and they have gotten on fantastically. Like they seem to get along very very mm. well. Um, so I I don't know. I th- I think perhaps that this is a stereotype that doesn't have a huge amount of grounding in reality, possibly. I, I, I'm with you, JJ. In my J. experience, I've always liked dogs more than cats. So I don't know. But I like, I like the idea. I think uh, the, the end speciesism 2019 uh, movement uh, has, has got legs uh, for. Um, so, uh, yeah, it will be interesting to see what other people think. Uh, readers, do you agree with uh, JJ? A J. fundamental um, shift in, in, the, in the fandom might be, might be on the horizon. I feel like a schism is coming. Mm. Uh, this is quite something. Yeah, tectonic levels of movement going on. Next up, we have an email from Anonymous, uh, who's just sent in an email called Yogscast Civ Six. Dear Dan and Simon, I'm a long-time reader and first-time writer. I've been watching the channel for a while. In all caps, in episode two of your latest six game, uh, your latest Civ Six game, you used the word demonym with a ton of with a tone. Oh God, I really can't read today. With the tone of someone who would love to be asked what that meant. No one asked you what the word meant. You must have been very disappointed that you couldn't tell people about your word. I just decided to write to you to ask, what does the word mean, Simon? Please discuss. Well, Anonymous, it's we talked about it. Was it last episode? Was it two episodes ago? 
I think it was too because we had an email from Dr. Santiago telling us about how we technically use demonym wrong wrongly when we talked about I think it was British. There was there was there was it was like a it was a variant of demonym. Yeah, uh, it's it's how you refer to someone who is from a place. But if you want to listen to two episodes previous, um, then you will hear a huge discussion, uh, including some errors. So so there we go. But I had really, I had a lot of fun with the um a lot of fun doing the Civ games. I really hope I can come back sometime soon. Uh, maybe do some modded Civ Six because I really like the game and I really like playing with those guys. It was very fun and I got to nuke Lewis, which was like a fucking life dream made <laughs> it was an absolute delight watching his cities burn in nuclear fire now i sound like a sociopath lovely we have an email here from nayan uh it says dear san and diamond as an international student in the uk i found myself deeply confused by the ongoing parliamentary squabbling regarding brexit you and me both um, in an attempt to alleviate this confusion, I've put together an event at my college in Cambridge that I think might be of interest to yourselves and the readership, uh, to which there is a Facebook link. Um, for context, my name is uh, Nian Thakurani. Apologies if I awfully mispronounce that. Um, I am the events manager at the Joyce Franklin Society uh, at Gonville and Keys College, Cambridge. We are a feminist and gender discussion group hosting weekly events relating to intersectional feminism. I'm a long-time reader and a second-time writer into the podcast, and I have been watching Simon's vlogs since I was considering applying to Oxford back in high school. I read the podcast on my weekly sojourn, excellent use of sojourn, um, to the Sports Centre in West Cambridge, and I enjoy it immensely. Keep up the quality non-content. Well, I mean... The, looking very at the, interesting. I'll have to have well, a look at include the link event. to the event, because it is on March 13th, which should be... Uh, yes, next week. So, you know, if, if people would like to go to that, I'm, mm. I know we have a couple of readers in uh, Cambridge. I actually met two people from the community after the half marathon. They came up and got a photo. It was really nice. Um, so, yeah, if, if you are... Um, the, the event is titled Brexit is a Feminist Issue, um, which is an interesting take that I'd not actually considered before, probably because I'm a man. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah, it's a Gonville and Keys College, uh, the worst of all the colleges at Cambridge, it's got to be said. Um, and it's on March 13th, but there'll be a link to that in the show notes if people are interested. Next up, we have an email from Aragorn Koiken. Do you remember? We had uh, we had Aragorn email in before, and we were amazed that someone was called Aragorn. This, yeah. So cool. Anyway, um, uh, they write in with the email, American Politics Books. Dear Messrs. Moore and Clark. In last week's episode, you asked for recommendations for books regarding American politics and history. Whilst my recommendation may not be exactly what you're looking for, I would like to suggest Jean Marie Lascasses, or Lascas? I'm not quite. Yeah, Lascasses, I guess. Um, to Obama with love, joy, hate, and despair. This is a collection of correspondence taken from the 10 a day Obama would read during his presidency, as well as interviews with their authors a few years later. I personally feel that this creates a more intimate and comprehensive record of the political issues of contemporary America by focusing on the issues that impacted general citizens rather than the political pundits we typically have news filtered through. I find this interesting. Aragorn. What a that's very great very idea for a book. Um, so that's mm. to Obama with love, hate, joy. Sorry, love, joy, hate, and despair by John Marie Lascas. Great suggestion. I not. I not. I mean, obviously, like I think you were more asking for like a general overview, but in terms of like a snapshot, that is a wonderful idea. Mm, also, yeah, there's absolutely. a postscript for my choral piece of the week. Aragorn has their own choral piece of the week now. Um, uh, they would like to propose Excellent. Dan Forrest's Requiem for the Living. I think I've heard of this. I know this. Yeah. 
It's very good. Dan Forrest is There'll a really be a link cool to the show in the show notes for that one, guys, on Spotify. If you're interested, do check it out. Which I, whenever we get uh, like recommendations for music, I always have it on in the background uh, after we've been sent the link. So um, I'll be listening to that one later. Thank you, Aragorn. Oh, it's so cool to be able to say that. We have an email here from Mandalore. Uh, Dear Messrs. Moore and Clark, Infinity War Review, Simon correctly identifies Malthusian economics, partial credit. Is that the is that is that, uh, the, Scab- is that the only thing that was wrong? We actually correctly identified something. We, <laughs> I was wonder, I was t- worrying that like we were not going to be able to uh, like live up to you know when we invited people to email in with like corrections, we were never going to hear the end of it. But holy sh! <laughs> yeah, we also we also have um, some really quite excellent economics and maths memes enclosed. Uh, Thank you, thank you, Mandalore. <laughs> oh, loving some of these, yes. Oh, the heart. Oh, God, I'm going to share that right now. That is a top tier meme. I'm sorry, Adam, I've been swearing a lot in this podcast, but that is a top tier meme that I'm going to tweet right now. <laughs> oh, man, that was the perfect one for Matt. Sorry, for me. Um, anyway, next up, penultimate email. Actually, no, this is the last email, Dan, because you're going to read some poetry after this, I believe. I am indeed, yes. We've been we've had a, a an influx of poetry this week, so we're we're going to choose one, and then the second uh, bout, which is some more leader, will be read oh, out next. He's week. a very happy boy with all this poetry. Um, it's literally poetry mm. to his ears. Um, right. We, uh, so our final email is from Darcy, uh, who writes in with, "Hey, San and Diamond." This is slightly long, but I think it's very important for people who love movies the way we do. There's a story I've been following for a while, and it's just become more interesting since the Oscars. Basically, Steven Spielberg is trying to change the American Academy of Motion Pictures films um, rules so that films from streaming services cannot be nominated for Oscars in the future. His argument is that Netflix is a TV format and that films like Roma basically aren't real films. Just curious what you think about this. Personally, I cannot disagree more. Cinemas are wonderful and I love them, but I cannot stand the snobbish attitude that they are inherently superior or more pure than watching something on a TV or laptop. Spielberg is placing platform ahead of content, which is disheartening. Streaming isn't going away anytime soon, and that means more and more quality films will be made through Netflix, Amazon, etc. And award shows should be allowed to recognise that. This reminds me of directors like Nolan and Tarantino, who, despite the fact that uh, Darcy loves those directors, constantly bitch and moan about digital cinematography and boast that they will never and boast that they will only ever shoot film, as if that will make their work somehow more artistically valid. Like, okay, good for you, shooting on film is great, but a movie shot on film is still a movie, you know? Focusing so much on the Mm -hmm. technical way a film is shot rather than the content is so purist, I hate it. Not to mention the digital technologies have enabled independent filmmakers to create stunning works that they never would have been able to afford if they'd been required to shoot on film. Filmmaking is constantly evolving and we need to keep up rather than trying to isolate real movies just because they follow a traditional theatrical distribution model. I completely agree with you, Darcy. I don't know about you, Dan. Yeah, no, I agree too. I I think there's there's a lot of interesting debate about what qualifies theatrical release and what doesn't. Um, I think that can be more that can be taken more seriously than uh, the film versus digital argument, which I agree with you, Darcy, I think is, I think is elitist and, and purist and just kind of dilutes any kind of meaningful debate that one can have about, about film. Um, there was recently, I'm going, I'm going to do an awful job at remembering the actual details by not remembering any of the details at all. Um, but there was a, an episode of the Mark Kermode and Simon Mayo film podcast on five live. And they were talking about what, Quality. There'd been some hoo-ha about a, a certain certain film not being released uh, in 
cinemas because it didn't meet the grounds to qualify as theatrical release, but it was still winning lots of awards and people were saying, well, this isn't fair because it's not technically a theatrical release, blah, 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 blah. Um, that's quite an interesting debate, but I agree with you. Digital cinematography versus uh, the classic kind of film uh, physical approach. I mean, I- I don't think it does a great, great amount. I think that the, it basically introduces a new debate about what is considered to be TV and what is considered to be film. You know, I don't think it's a question of purity. <laughs> I feel like the fact that historically the distribution has always been on giant screens, it has been a very particular method of distribution which allows you to specifically define this is a film. Um, it's the fact that exactly yeah. the, the point... Um, that Darcy makes about how focusing on content should be more important than on distribution. Does it meet the criteria in Mm. terms of um, length, in terms of structure, um, in terms of its presentation? If it does, then that makes it a film. It's not the box that it's packaged in. Um, I just think Mm. it is an interesting thing because then should it become the Academy of Motion Pictures... um, you know does does that then by 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 including netflix then does that mean that stuff that is made for tv as in i'm trying to think of an example of a made for tv movie now um i can't think of it off the top of my head but you you know you do get stuff that is only made for being distributed on tv like i suppose you could argue like a special Mm. of a tv show does that then constitute being a film high school musical wait was that a made for tv special was made for tv yeah the original high school musical was zach efron Mm -hmm. well that's definitely a Mm -hmm. film it was on the Disney That's Channel. That's definitely a film. So, what else we have? Um, okay, yeah, they're all. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but like that is an interesting debate to be had. Then that is an interesting debate about mm. what actually constitutes a film. I'm sure. Do, do we have anybody who is a film studies student? If you have a perspective on this, please do email in because I think Darcy's kicked off something really interesting here. Um, thank you very much for that. Oh, hang on, I've just read his second email. He said, "Edit for Spielberg and Oscars." I forgot to mention, Team Dog all the way. F*** you and your hellspawn, Simon. Cheers, Darcy. Oh, thanks, mate. Uh, I was I was being really nice about you then, but there we go. Right, and we're going to close, as I alluded to earlier. We do have some more leader from, uh, from William, but we're going to hold off on that and we're going to do it next week. Uh, this week, we have a new uh, new contribution to the, uh, the, the poetry corner um, from... Uh, from Riley, Riley, uh, Stray, oh. not Reed. Um, there is sh- this. This is a short collection. Um, let's let's just let's just jump in. Roses are red. This email will be fast. I've just written some love poems about all about the Wikicast. <laughs> Roses are red. This is a dumb font. Dan said in his rage as he began to rant. <laughs> oh, I see what you've done. Yes, very very funny. Yes. This is a dumb font, Dan said in a rage as he began to rant. Roses are red. I'm a man of culture. Did you listen to the new Wikicast? They're talking about chair sculpture. (laughs) I love these. Very nice. (laughs) Roses are red. What's something we agree on, whether team dog or team cat? We're still supporting them on Patreon. I'm imagining you as like a stand-up, like in front of a brick wall, and just reading these out like a poetry slam night. Yeah. Roses are red. Some call me a freak. Maybe it's because I know all about the history of rail transport in Mozambique. (laughs) Excellent. Excellent. Please tell me there's more. Please tell me there's more. Um, Roses are red. I haven't much patience, but I am familiar with the permanent representative of Colombia to the United (laughs) Nations. Just a dollar a month, tis all I can afford, but I can still feel at home on the Wikicast Discord. This is, oh my God, f*** all the R.S. Thomas bullshit. Oh, f*** all the real poetry. This is the sh. This is what I want. 
it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a Wikicast uh, piece of correspondence without things getting slightly kinky and gross. And with that, roses are red. Dan sank to his knees. Simon, please treat me like the way you treat cheese. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry these were garbage, but I wanted to get them in before the recording oh per Simon's announcements God. on the Discord. Peace be with you, Riley Reed. Oh, thank you, thank Riley. You That's so much, Riley. Marvelous. I f- love that. That was amazing. That's made my day, that has. See? Poetry. It's accessible to everyone, whether it's leader or or love poetry about the way Simon treats cheese. Oh, the wiki cast, ladies and gentlemen. And on that bombshell, Simon, what have we learned? That's the today? question I ask you. You're the one that's got the um, Wikipedia article. I was testing Dan, you. I wanted to see if you could recall. What have we done? What have we learned today? We're sticking to the script. Blur, blood, sugar, sex, magic is what we've spoken about today. The fifth studio album by American rock band the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And then we talked about music, our, our, our changing tastes in music over the years. Mm-hmm. And we invited readers, let's not forget, to email in with what was it? Their favourite song, their most recently played song, and their most played song. Um, yes we'll have to do some kind of analysis on this uh i'm very interested to see what you guys come up with absolutely we jumped into a crisis corner i believe didn't we uh, and we had a phd uh, related uh, issue so if there's any thoughts on that if you can uh, as a, a fellow reader in aid and you've, if you've got some uh, mm. some thoughts to share and some advice then do please email in spongyelectric at gmail.com we talked a bit about uh, the cambridge half marathon uh, and we about uh, Lent, all the music that you have uh, you were singing the other day. Uh, and yes. I, I had some excellent poetry. That has made my day. Thank you, yeah, Riley Reid. As ever, Riley Reid makes my day. Always um, delivers. Always delivers. Oh, man. That's all for this week's episode. Don't forget to subscribe to us on your podcasting service of choice. You can like us on Facebook, and if you'd like to see our faces, check out our YouTube channel, Spongy and Electric. Where I actually put a video the other day. It was a video of it was a streaming highlights that Anna edited together, and it was amazing. I've got to say, oh she did an amazing job on it. So go and check that out. Wikicast limericks, song choices, and other thoughts on the show can be sent to us at spongyelectric at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Join us again for another tumble down the wiki rabbit hole. And, and we'll, we'll see you next time. Oosh, that was Oosh. solid. Bosh, Jesus. done. That, that poetry... Absolutely superb.